markets were relieved that the USPC deflators came in in line with expectations. There were one or two rogue figures, but they can be easily explained away. So nothing to see here. And the markets like that. In Europe, inflation is taking a while to come down. We get the Europe-wide numbers today, but we've already had them for several countries. Plus, Australia's retail sales also didn't bounce back as much as expected. But we did get back to the cafes pretty quickly. And house prices up this morning. It's Friday. It's the 1st of March. Didn't February drag on? Uh, it's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, it's turned out to be a good session for U.S. equities. The Dow closed just in the green, but a half percent rise for the S&P, a five percent gain for February on the S&P, a 0.9 percent rise today for the Nasdaq at the close. That's a six percent gain in February, and the Russell 2000 up 0.7 percent this session as well at close in Europe. The DAX closed up 0.4 percent. The CSI was up 1.9 percent yesterday. It's been a bit of a yo-yo this week. A tiny rise in the U.S. dollar. It's up just 0.1 percent on the DXY. The Aussie is up. Marginally at 65 US cents. The pound has lost 0.3%, so is the euro. Bond yields are down, just one basis point lower, though, for 10 year treasuries. Down six, though, for 10 year gilts in the UK. Down five in Germany. Aussie 10 years were down three basis points yesterday to 4.13%, and they've stayed there since on futures. And oil is down now, 0.3% lower for WTI. Brent is just in the red. So let's uh, let's start. With the US PCE numbers, uh, probably the biggest number uh, over the last 24 hours, with JB Weir's Sally Ald in Sydney. Uh, two words for this, Sally, as expected. Yeah, that's by and right. Large. Yeah, no. So the, the core number was up, you know, still a pretty solid four tenths of a percent. Um, but as you said, as expected, and the headline up three tenths of a percent, as expected. I mean, the six month annualized rates are, are, of both of these series are now ticking up a little bit. And so I guess that means that. It really underscores this notion that the Fed wants to see more data um, before it, it gets too committed to the idea of cutting rates. And that super core measure, so that's the core services ex-housing measure, that actually rose a pretty solid six-tenths of a percent um, in the month, and that's up three and a half percent year on year. But I think most people are pretty happy to look through that um, number just because it seems like there were some pretty outsized gains in Funny components like financial services, um, insurance, price rises for non-profits. And so I think people feel like uh, they, they seem more like one-offs than some, some sort of shift in trend. Yeah. Well, this, this big 1% increase in personal income in January as well is a bit of a mm. one-off, isn't it? Because I think there was an allowance, an adjustment for social security benefits, which is yeah, uh, a right. cost of living adjustment. So that, that, that another one-off that we shouldn't pay too much attention to. Yeah, another one-off there. And, um, you know, in the end, real consumer spending was down one-tenth of a percent in January. And that, that comes after a, a really solid run in the fourth quarter for consumption. But I think all up, you know, when, when economists look at those numbers, um, on on real consumer spending for January, I think they feel like that's broadly consistent with GDP annualising at about sort of two and a quarter, two and a half percent for the first quarter, which is probably a bit stronger than the consensus expected. So it looks like, you know, even though it's early days, you know, we're we're looking at another solid quarter of of growth in the US. Mm. We'll come back to the US in just a second. We also had the initial jobless claims; they rose a bit more than expected, uh, two hundred and fifteen thousand last week from two hundred and two thousand the week before. But you. Know, go back to the start of February, we're at 220,000, so maybe we shouldn't read too much into that. But uh, what about Japan then? We've seen a bit of upward movement in the yen and Japanese government bond yields because one member of, of the Bosch board uh, is saying the case for putting an end to negative interest rates 
is starting to gain some traction. People seem to have listened to that. Yeah, that's right. So this is a fellow by the name of Takata Sound. So he said, you know, the, the price target looks like it's finally coming into sight. Um, and so that means it's going to be okay to shift gear on monetary policy and, and have less less easing than the Bank of Japan uh, currently has. So as you said, markets were you know, reasonably sensitive to those comments and supportive of the yen and um, you know, bond market weakening. And I think that's because at the moment, the market's sort of trying to gauge, is this all happening um, this month in March at the next Bank of Japan meeting or will it happen in April when the Bank of Japan, who've been very focused on um, the run rate of wages growth in Japan, will have a bit more data on those spring uh, wage negotiations um, in Japan. And so I think, you know, at the margin where the market was sort of comfortable that this would all happen in, in Japan uh, those uh, in April, those comments were just sort of, you know, a bit more uncertainty about maybe whether the Bank of Japan is, um, you know, poised to, to do something at their next meeting in March. And yet we had this big fall in industrial production we, we heard yesterday, down 1.6% in January. In fact, we've only seen growth in two of the last 12 months. I mean, that doesn't sound like the sort of environment where you'd want to lift rates, does it? No, and I guess this is um, this is the issue. You know, on, on numbers, um, as they stand, Japan's actually in technical recession. So you sort of look at that and go, well, that, that typically is not the environment in which you, um, you know, are, are starting a, a tightening cycle after many, many years of, um, you know, very generous or very loose monetary policy. So... Yes, but I think, you know, really here it's all about the nominal indicators um, and the Bank of Japan is clearly getting a bit more comfortable that there's something a bit more sustained about the inflation backdrop than has been the case for many years in Japan. Um, And if those wage negotiations, um, you know, effectively come in um, higher than they were last year, then I think, you know, the Bank of Japan will be pretty confident that there's at least a case for doing a little bit and just taking some of that um, stimulatory policy out of the system, finally. <laughs> now, closer to home, the ANZ business confidence read fell a little in New Zealand yesterday, down from 36.6 to 34.7 in February. I mean, it's been slowly rising all last year. This is the, the first tick down. And uh, what about retail sales in Australia for January? Didn't bounce back quite as much as expected, 1.1% up for the month uh, after a 2.1% fall in December. But that is quite a revision up, isn't it, for December, even though it's negative it was worse than that before. So that sort of balances itself out. That sort of explains why. Yeah, swings and roundabouts really for that number. So as you said, um, the, the January number came in a bit softer than the market had expected, but that was okay because there was a pretty decent upward revision to December. So that leaves retail sales you know, a, a tick over 1% higher than where they were a year ago. So that's not really anything to get too excited about. And when we look at it in level terms, it doesn't really look like much has changed since uh, September of, of last year. So I think it just, again, emphasises this idea that, you know, the consumption story, which has been a pretty weak story through most of 2023 and into 2024, um, you know, as we try and put all the pieces of the puzzle together and, and try and sense where uh, fourth quarter GDP numbers are going to print next week, um, I think these just reinforce that the consumption story is probably not going to be a big contributor to growth again in the fourth quarter of last year. Well, you know, we had a 1.3% month-on-month increase in cafes, restaurants and takeaway food services. So, you know, we've, uh, we're back to the avocado on toast and, uh, you know, the second cappuccino. Yeah, or, I mean, the know, ABS... Cappuccino yeah, letter. that's right. The ABS <laughs> was saying, you know, the sporting events in January, like the Australian Open and the Big Bash... Um, T20 cricket, you know, probably encouraged people out, out outside and, you know, helped to, to underpin 
some of that consumption at, at cafes and restaurants. Yeah, and we've and we've just had this morning as well the uh, the latest CoreLogic uh, house prices. They're still holding up, aren't they? I guess it's the, the lack of supply story still, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So they rose um, 0.6% in February, which is a bit stronger than we've seen in the last couple of months and driven really by really strong gains in places like Brisbane, Adelaide, Sydney, and even Melbourne, uh, which has had a bit of a, a run of um, small declines in house prices registered a, a modest rise in in February. So, you know, again, this will keep the RBA on edge a little bit. It won't be sort of thrilled to see a buoyant housing market um, because on one measure, it's probably telling them that the cash rate where it is, you know, isn't enough to to bring down um, house prices quickly. But nonetheless, you know, the expectation is that house prices will go up about 5% this year and that's slower than last year. So, um, I think the RBA will be watching this one pretty closely. Yeah. Now, back in the US, uh, we had a slight move up in the Kansas uh, Fed Manufacturing Index from minus 17 to positive three in February, the first positive number actually since August. Uh, but this, th- th- these numbers are all over the place, aren't they? So maybe we instead... Uh, what did we hear from Fed speakers? We had Bostic, Goolsby, Mester. They've all been out tripping the light. Fantastic. Um, probably appropriate to reduce policy rate in the summertime is what I heard from Raphael Bostic. So June still. Well, it depends what, what your definition of summer is, doesn't it, really? It could be much late. It could be all. I mean, are they going to put a temperature on it? We'll, we'll cut when it reaches 25 degrees. Uh, is that what? <laughs> <laughs> June is actually quite early for summer, isn't it, really? But that seems to be still the expectation. Yeah, I think so. So, you know, we really saw this year that the market, when we started 2024, was really G'd up about the Fed cutting um, in March and, and commentary really from the Fed chair sort of put ice on that notion and said, you know, we're going to need more data and, and and so I think people realised that um, March was too early and then they realised that May was probably a bit too early. And so when we talk about summer, I guess that means that you know, the, the June FOMC meeting is, I guess, the first, the first possible meeting. So, you know, again, um, nothing really new in these comments, broadly consistent with what the market has, has priced in and this idea that, you know, while the Fed has had lots of good data on inflation, you know, it's still going to need to see another couple of months before it feels confident enough to... To cut rates. And I think this really speaks to the notion that for a lot of central banks, you know, forecasting through the pandemic was, and, and in the aftermath of the pandemic, was a pretty challenging process. Um, and so you would have to imagine that their conviction in their modal forecast or their central case forecast is probably quite a bit lower than it might have been in more normal times. And so it just tells you that. Um, for them, the burden of proof for for being comfortable with cutting rates is is probably going to be a bit higher than you know might have once been the case. Uh, yeah, because we keep on getting surprises with some of the numbers, don't we? Well, I mean, they're taking longer anyway. So Canada's GDP is maybe an example that, you know, a good news story for Canada, perhaps, because an upside surprise, uh, their GDP fell by half a percent in Q3, 0.8% growth was expected in Q4, it actually rose 1%, and that fall in Q3 was an upward revision too. So things not quite as bad as they seemed. Yeah, that's right. So there was a pretty decent set of numbers, and, you know, um, unlike... You know, the UK or Germany or Japan, you know, they're not in recession in the back half of 2023. So that's a good thing. So, again, another reason, I guess, for the the Bank of Canada just to, to be on hold in the near term before it, it turns to cutting rates. Um, and I think this whole idea that a number of Fed speakers have spoken about, which is that when the economy is tracking OK and even a bit better than you thought, the cost of holding rates where 
they are at current levels, you know, is perhaps not as high as you might have once worried about. And so I think, it, you know, central banks will be happy with these outcomes because it just gives them that additional flexibility to, to wait a bit longer. Yeah. And much should do about inflation. Uh, we get the euro area CPI today, but we've already had it for Germany, 0.4% for the month of February, a little softer than expected, but uh, still higher than January. France, a little higher than expected, up 0.8% in February. Uh, so, I mean, is that, is, I mean, it's it, it's not softening, is it? I mean, it's taking, again, another example, it's taking a long time to get to where we want to go. Yeah, that's right. And, and this is... Um you know, I guess people are, are just talking about you know the last mile of the disinflation process is maybe going to be um, a slightly more difficult one to to move through than perhaps you know those preceding it. Um, and you know, this is what central banks have always worried about, which is that they knew they would get inflation down um, reasonably quickly, and that, that was because a lot of it was driven by supply side factors, which have normalised. And then I think they've always sort of worried about, well, we know we can get it from sort of seven or eight down to three or four, but getting that last bit from three to four down to two or thereabouts, um, you know, potentially might be a little bit more difficult, especially while labour markets remain pretty firm um, in most economies, which they are at the moment. So, yes, looks like Europe is, you know, maybe in a in a similar position to perhaps the US and some other countries. Yeah, well, we get the, as I say, the euro-wide inflation numbers today, plus Europe's uh, unemployment rate. We get the ISM manufacturing number for the US, plus the Michigan Fed Consumer Sentiment Survey and the Consumer Inflation Expectations, of course, and quite a bit from uh, New Zealand Consumer Confidence and quite a bit from China. We get ca- uh, Canada's Caging uh, Manufacturing uh, PMI, plus the official manufacturing and non-manufacturing PMIs. So we uh, all around the same time so quite a bit to see from that part of the world indeed it'll be a busy friday night we will keep us occupied uh, good talk we'll catch you next time great thanks very much phil and we mentioned the latest core logic house prices just a moment ago on the weekend edition this week we look at the need for tax reform with kate griffiths from the grattan institute an older generation many of whom are holding on to large amounts of wealth are they an easy target when it comes to broadening the tax base i mean it does it's a reminder i suppose that if things like taxing inheritances are just such a long shot, then governments at the very least need to be need to not be subsidising them. And unfortunately, we are through a lot of the tax settings that are, are here on superannuation and on housing. The conversation that has to be had, isn't it? That's this weekend. Uh, it's out this afternoon, wherever you got this podcast from. And I'm back on Monday morning as well for the next weekday edition of The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Thanks for listening. <laughs>